Scofflaws is a show about the history of crime, criminals, and the investigation thereof. There may be discussion of adult themes and generally icky stuff. Also, neither host is a legal professional, and this show does not contain any legal advice. Remember, crime doesn't pay. Unless you're really good at it. Hello, and welcome to the Scofflaws, a history of law and disorder. My name is Sean, and joining once again is my lovely co-host, John. Say hi, John. Hi, John. I'm back, and I have a cat. <laughs> of the three temporary co-hosts, you're the only one who follows the regular pattern. I know, I know, I'm predictable. <laughs> no, it's just, it's me and my cat, Kaz, here, so she's gonna help me record. She's got opinions. Oh, as all cats do. Yes. Exactly. I was recording earlier today with uh, with Allison, and Gilda tried to throw in some of her opinions. Uh-huh. But I think I chased her upstairs. Yeah. My cat is named Kaz. She wants to be on my lap most of the time, and now she's just sitting here with her tail twitching slightly because I think she's getting angry at me for not paying enough attention to her. So <laughs> we'll see how this uh, goes. That's... That's kind of what my dog does, except when I stop petting her, she spazzes out and rams into my face. Yep. That sounds about right. So how's your week been? Crazy. I am going to a steampunk convention in three days, four days, and I have everything to do before then. And also, Ugh. like, life and adult responsibilities, too. Yeah, adulting sucks. Yeah, it sucks. I don't recommend Nope. Nope. If you can if you can somehow find a way to stay like thirteen for like eternity, I would go for it. I mean yes, but at the same time I hated being thirteen too. So it's like uh, you know, there's just really no way to win. Yeah, there's no perfect age. Yeah. I think they all just kinda suck. On that cheery note. <laughs> On that happy, happy note. So, yeah, so what are we talking about today? Um, well, I believe you floated the idea of talking about a literary topic I have no yes. knowledge of. Yes, I have plenty of knowledge of. I have too much knowledge of. Um, An my... overabundance of knowledge. Yes. Uh, I was going to talk a little bit about the books and the film slash films uh, based on the works of Cormac McCarthy. Um, have you heard of this guy? I've heard of him, but I haven't read any of his books. Okay. Um, they're tricky, because, among other things, um, he's a very stylized writer. He uh, doesn't use quotation marks, exclamation points, or question marks, for one thing. Um, his writing style is very spare and poetic. It's very austere. He likes these these broad you know, sweeping poetic descriptions of, of you know, scenery and nature and the beauty and the majesty and also, like, the, the, the indifference towards man. Um, it's very poetic. Um, and he's also probably the most violent writer you're ever going to read. Um, his books just, they're just, honestly, there's a little barrier of entry because the books, there's just parts where you're like, I need a break. 
I just want to paint a picture for the audience here sure. that as soon as you started talking about the author, you turned and put your shoulder into the explanation. <laughs> like you're busting down a door of literary ignorance. Right. No, yeah. I'm turning because my cat is whining at me again, but still. <laughs> well, all right, let's, uh, let's dig into Cormac McCarthy. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yay. Cormac McCarthy's profile was raised massively in the past 10 years or so because uh, his book, No Country for Old Men, was adapted into a hugely successful uh, Oscar-winning film by the Coen brothers back in 2007-2008, something like that. Um, and it is a brilliant movie. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. I didn't realize it was that recent. I thought that came out when I was a teenager. That I'm... I would have been 22 at that time. I mean, 2007 was 10 years ago. I know. God. Yeah. It feels recent. Have you you seen all those memes showing up on Facebook of like, how long has this year been? Yeah. And it's like, the Tide Pod thing was in January. Yep. Black Panther came out this year. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, as we enter into our fifth year of 2018. Yeah. No, it's, it's a bit disturbing. Yeah. But no, um... Cormac McCarthy's profile was raised by that. Before that, he was, of course, a hugely successful, popular, you know, uh, it's considered one of the great American authors of the latter half of the 20th century. Um, his other books are Child of God, um, All the Pretty Horses, which is basically just a Western soap opera, uh, Sutri, which is his funny book, and he also wrote The Road, which was also adapted into a film uh, starring Viggo Mortensen. Um, the Road, he won, I think it was a Pulitzer Prize for that one. Um, but the one that I read recently, and I finished it, and it's been stuck in my head a little bit, which is why I pitched this idea, was a book called Blood Meridian. Um, this book has never been adapted. It's a tricky sell, because it is, and I said, he's one of the most violent authors you'll ever read. This book is pretty much apex violence in literature. (laughs) Um, oh god yeah um but it really is a fascinating book if you can get through it it's he wrote it um he wrote it when he actually won the macarthur grant back in the 80s back before he was even like a big deal he won the macarthur grant and spent like two or three years researching the old west in excruciating detail um and he specifically focused on uh, the expedition of a scalp hunter named John Joel Glanton, who famously just kind of roved with a pack of marauders across the Mexican border um, after the Civil War, or the Mexican-American War, I think, and just slaughtered across the, the countryside. He just absolutely collected scalps from anybody. He'd just shoot people and take the scalps with his band of, of bandits, basically. Um, he met a violent end, but McCarthy charted his path in incredible detail. It's loaded with really intense, um, researched realism. And then towards the end, he turns it into kind of a a supernatural book. I I don't want to spoil anything too much, but he features a character in it named Judge Holden, who's basically like, I can hear a dog on that end. 
Yeah, no, I think someone came to the door and Tilly is expressing her displeasure. Mm, that's exciting. My, my cat's getting angry at me, too. I'm going to throw her on the bed really quick. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I just... The, the, the part that's been fascinating to me is um, he, em, he embellished this historical character mentioned called Judge Holden, who was described as a friend of Glanton's who went on the expedition... And McCarthy expands him into one of the scariest, most intense villains you're ever going to read. And this is part of the reason the movie is probably not going to happen anytime soon, because people are just like, how do you adapt this character to cinema? Like, it's hard. Um, This character basically becomes McCarthy's embodiment of the concept of war. He towards the end of the book, he actually starts displaying like kind of superpowers almost. It, yeah, war-based superpowers. Yeah, it basically because he becomes like emboldened and, and empowered by all this violence he creates and and exploits, and you know he, he starts doing impossible things towards the end of the book, and it becomes this story of like, you know. The, the ritual he's creating to spread war throughout the 20th century or something like that. It's really fascinating stuff. And also a bunch of people get disemboweled and, you know, there's all that jazz too. Now the obvious reference here would be Red Dead Redemption. It's <laughs> also sounding a lot like the Major from uh, Helsing. You're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah, if you want some comparisons, like the book's been compared to Moby Dick a little bit because it is about, you know, like a band of, of, you know, a wild bunch kind of on a mad quest, you know, they're off to, except instead of hunting a white whale, they're just there to spread, like, chaos and discord, you know. Chewing bubblegum and taking scalps. Yeah, exactly. And we're all out of bubblegum. Yeah. Um, but what's fascinating to me about it, like I said, is, you know, it's so detailed. It's so, um, um realistic like he does describe the actual towns they stopped in the actual people some of the actual people they spoke to he he the the middle chunk of the book takes place at a river ferry which glanton's gang famously just took over and started just robbing the people crossing and that was actually one of the things that led to his death was the reprisal for that so he he goes into such extreme detail and then towards the end of the book is just suddenly like oh wait this is about, like, gods and monsters and humans and, and, like, forces we can't comprehend. It's not just, like, a straight-up Western. You know? All of a sudden, the, the scope gets pulled back several uh-huh. several orders of magnitude. Yeah. Oh, and it's so cool. Um, yeah, like, if you've ever seen No Country for Old Men, like I said, highly recommend it. Um, you know, what's his name? What's the actor's name? Javier Bardem. The guy was in Mother last year. Um, he uh, he plays, you know, Anton Chigurh in that book, in that movie. He won an Oscar for it. And it's a similar kind of character in a way. You know, he's kind of the embodiment of violence. He's, he's not even like a human so much as he is just this force of nature. And McCarthy loves playing with that stuff. Sounds a lot like the characters in American Gods. It's it's got notes. You can see notes of that. You know, it's not like the same degree of like comic bookiness. I guess it's more just straight up like biblical horror. But yeah, we don't see enough of that. The Bible has some pretty horrifying mm-hmm. shit in it. 
I will say, like, you know, plenty plenty of, of critics have looked at the book and they've said, like, well, the judge, Judge Holden, he represents, you know, Lucifer or Satan or, you know, one of the horsemen of the apocalypse or something like that. And you're just kind of like, he's, he's, he's all that and he's also other things, too. He's like, he's more, you can't pin him down. He's just this, this thing. He exists. Just this elemental war. Mm-hmm. Which is my new band name. Ooh, yeah, go for it. Mine's going to be called Judge Holden. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, uh, Glanton, so, so the book, like, because one of the things I love about McCarthy's work, because like I said, he does play with violence a lot, but his books and the movies based on them usually have all the toys to make a pretty straightforward Western. Like... You know, Blood Meridian is basically like the Wild Bunch, or the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. It's about a gang of misfits, you know, a seven, uh, Magnificent Seven, you know? Gang of misfits of out- off on a mission, you know? Group of outlaws trying to complete an objective, and yeah. the law's in their way. Yeah, oh, we gotta ride off into the, you know, it, it, it has notes of that. But then just the sheer power of the violence kind of overpowers that and turns it into something else. Because, like, it's the same kind of thing in um, No Country. You know, No Country for Old Men, it starts with our ragtag cowboy played by Josh Brolin um, finds a bag of money uh, from some cartel members. That one's a contemporary Western. It's set in the 80s. But he finds a bag of money from some cartel members, and he goes on the run trying to keep it. And at first, you're kind of like, okay, this is like a straightforward running, you know, chase movie or something like that. And then Anton Chigurh shows up. He starts killing most of the characters he meets in the movie. Like, he doesn't even care. He just starts slaughtering his way across the Old West, trying to catch him down. And by the end of the movie, it's something completely different. It's like, this wasn't... This isn't how any of this is supposed to go. He's supposed to ride off into the sunset. What? 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 Ride off the sunset with the bag of money and or the woman. Yeah, and his girl. Ride off on a horse... They shoot the bad guy, the day is saved, and just, like, the sheer power of Anton Chigurh's not giving a crap. Just like, I don't know, I'm just gonna kill this guy. I'm just gonna kill this guy. I'm just gonna, whatever, you're bugging me. And, um, you know, it, it really is, like, like I say, you know, he's such a violent author, but I really do think he's he's making a clear point about how violence kind of, for him... It doesn't exist as part of a moral or a legal framework. It exists to subvert that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, a lot a lot of if you're going to get your point across in anything like literature or music or film or anything, you have to find some way to shock. You have to yeah. find some way to grab attention to it. Yeah. But, you know, his his characters in, in all stories are often faced with, like, moral conundrums. Um, and then, in the end, the moral conundrums end up kind of not mattering all that much because somebody comes <laughs> in and just shoots somebody. And it's like, oh, well, I guess that's over. Moving on. You know? Sounds like a commentary on how fragile morality can be. Yeah. Well, the judge, the judge makes that explicit. The judge has a couple, because the judge, l- l- let me explain this character a little bit, because he's been stuck in my head a little bit. Um, the judge is described as being seven feet tall. He is pale bone white, and he is completely hairless from, from head to toe. 
Um, it sounds like you're describing Voldemort. Uh, you know what? A little, a little bit, a little bit. But he is extremely bulky. He's described as as incredibly strong. Um, this is one of the things that starts to suggest superhumanness as the book goes on. Like at first, you're just like, okay, he's really strong, and then by the end of the book, he like there's a part where he lifts up a cannon by himself, and you're just kind of like. You're just kind of like, well, where did that come from? That's not, that's not real. Oh, oh, he's something else. Um, thought I was reading a Western. Now all of a sudden it's supernatural horror. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or something. It's even harder to pin down, but yeah. Um, so he's completely hairless head to toe. Um, he's described as essentially a master of all trades, basically. Um, he's, of course, a legal mind. He's a judge. He speaks multiple languages, maybe dozen languages in the book. Um, he knows archaeology. He knows astrology. He knows history. Uh, he knows um, um, nature, you know, herbo- herbology. Is that even a thing? Is that like a real th- I don't know. I'm forgetting. I think it. that's the right term. Sure. Um, he knows nature. He knows, and he knows the craft of war. And as he says, you know, all trades are contained within the trade of war. And that's why he, as an embodiment of war, is essentially good at everything. He's essentially a character who's too, who's too buffed, you know? He needs to yeah. get nerfed. I mean, there is, there is some truth to that, because a lot of, a lot of things in a lot of industries you wouldn't think of came from, like, mm-hmm. the, the, like, war complex. Sure. Like, a lot of the equipment that, that's used for movies came because they needed certain right. equipment for moving around, like, artillery. Right. Yeah. Just translated to move one heavy thing, move another heavy thing. Yeah. Velcro, medicine. Yeah. Um, and as he would tell you, war is the ultimate trade. War is the only trade. Um, his One of his most famous lines is, war is God. That's what he says. Um, and he's very much a believer in this, and as he leads the band, you know, it, it becomes clear that even though John Glanton is in the book as the leader, air quotes, uh, it's really the judge's game. Glanton's really just the puppet, and it's the judge pushing them forward for some unknowable objective, you know. For um, war. Yeah, just, just for chaos, for war, for craziness. Um, oh, what was the other thing? But yeah... His other, his other, you know, shtick in the book is um, he's he he's constantly writing and sketching. Um, he he goes everywhere they go. Basically, he takes time to draw detailed sketches of the things he finds in his book, his big his big book, and then he usually destroys them after he's sketched them. He'll he'll draw a flower and then crush it. He'll draw a helmet and then smash it into his hands. And he says, uh, this is his other famous line, and this is a line I absolutely love. He says, all that exists in creation without my knowledge does so without my consent. That's an amazing line. That's a pretty cool line. Like, that's your tagline right there. That that sounds like something like you'd hear from, like, Darkseid or something. Yeah, basically. He's, he's very much of that tradition of, like, unstoppable evil, you know? Yeah. Um... So, yeah, he does that, and, and this is how, you know, his mystery kind of unfurls as he does this, you know. And towards the end of the book, the real protagonist of this book, I haven't even mentioned yet, is a character whose name is never mentioned. He's just called the Kid. Um, yeah. 
And he's the first chunk of the book is telling how he falls in with Glanton's gang. And then as it goes on, we see his growth and his kind of like, as kind of like a background character, like our camera, you know, just watching all these atrocities and stuff and how he eventually comes to kind of reject the judge and this whole, you know, this whole crazy path they're on. Um, yeah. As anyone would under the, uh, under the auspices of ultraviolence. Yeah. It's interesting, though. It's interesting. You know, I don't I don't want to spoil too much. I mean, it's a 30-year-old book, so, you know, suck it up if you haven't read it by now. But, you know, it, it is about how the kid, like, tries maybe to discover some sort of morality in this, in this chaos that they're all participating in, that the kid's participating in, too. You know, he kills people, too. He's part of the gang. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really fascinating story. All right, I'll have to read. I have so many Amazon credit or not Amazon credits, uh, Google Play credits, because I have one of those survey apps on my phone, and I keep getting the like ten cents, fifteen cents, and it's just added up because I never buy anything with it. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to see if I can find the audiobook. You can. It's on. I I have it on Audible, and the audiobook narrator for that one is just wonderful. His voice is so smoky, you know. It's got that smoky southern gentleman voice where he tells the story, you know, ooh, and then they cross the river, and the judge stared at them as they crossed. <laughs> he said, you know, just really cool. Highly recommend it. Listen to it on a plane or when you're going to bed. Give you happy dreams. Well, this would really be the right place to put uh, an Audible subscription if we had one. Oh, yeah. Hey, sponsor us. um so earlier you mentioned vigo mortensen was in one of the movies based on his books Mm -hmm. i have a challenge for you and it's my my firmly held belief that vigo mortensen has not and will never find a movie role that will be as cool as his name i yes that's true i mean aragorn's pretty close but aragorn's as close as he's gotten right but I think there, there's never. I think that's his his thing that binds him to the mortal realm. Sure, because he can't he cannot die until he finds a movie role that matches the coolness of the name Vigo Mortensen. I think he's probably one of the prime candidates on Earth for being like a six hundred year old vampire or something like that. You know, some kind of like multi thousand year old like like warrior <laughs> huntsman. I think it's probably him. Him and Nick Cage. Yeah, him and Nick Cage are are attending the weekly poker game with uh, Dracula. Yeah, exactly. Or Alucard, depending on which you prefer. Sure. Same thing. Yeah. Same basic just, idea. Just a mirror. Hmm. Yeah. No, I would totally see Viggo Mortensen in the movie if they make a Blood Meridian movie. I don't think he could be the judge. You need somebody big and and bulky for that, but. I could totally see him playing Glanton or one of the other cowboys or something like that. Yeah, they probably have to get one of those those like wrestlers turned Hollywood career like like get the get the rock and and cover him in white spray paint. Sure. Well, I'll tell you who I mentally cast actually. I could see either Tom Hardy or Josh Brolin doing a pretty good judge. I know All Tom right, Hardy. Uh... Tom Hardy can bulk up. We know that. He's a great physical actor. 
And we also know he's not afraid of frontal nudity, which may or may not be required for the role. Not gonna lie, there's a lot of that in the book, too. Brace yourself. Um, or Josh Brolin, because honestly, like, his take on Thanos... It's it's got it's got a little you know it, it gave me some reminders of the judge that same kind of presence you know same kind of like I'm here I'm ready to do things let's go yeah I mean that was also sort of the the niche that Thanos just fills as a character right like elemental destruction yeah yeah honestly it's yeah although with him it's more just because he has a boner for death yeah I mean like literally. That's the judge. That's that's, that's basic, same basic shtick, you know. And I could totally see Josh Brolin with his smoky voice, you know, just saying like, "All that exists in creation without my knowledge does so without my consent." Like, wouldn't that just be so cool? That, as long as you can say it with like that gravelly accent, that is yeah. the best line I've ever heard. It's basic. It's a pretty cool line. Yeah, the book's loaded with them. Like I said, a little barrier of entry. You're going to have to go through a couple parts where you're just like, okay, that happened. A lot of people getting disemboweled. Okay, great. But like I said, I, I think it's worth sticking with. All right, there we we have a recommendation. Uh, we don't usually have book recommendations on this podcast, but there you go. Hey. Uh, and I think I'm going to cut us off here. All right. uh, just because I got other shit to do today. Um, if you'd like to add to this discussion, you can email us at scofflawspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to help support this show, you can donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash scofflaws. Uh, follow us on Facebook, either at our main page or our community page, Scofflaws A History of Law and Disorder, get you to either one. Uh, on Twitter, we're at scofflawscast, and I will pull up the dumb law. And I think I'm going to go with Nebraska this time. I'm surprised this is coming up as a specific law for Nebraska, but here we go. It is illegal to fly a plane while drunk. It is illegal? Illegal. Okay. Good. Probably should be illegal. Like, it's weird they'd have to clarify that. I'm wondering why it's specifically a law in Nebraska and not, like, you know, federal? a federal law. Yeah. I mean, I'd imagine there's a fair amount of, like... You know, crop spraying planes over there, and a fair amount of you know moonshine, whatever you got, I, you know. So I, yeah, I have I have a friend or two from Nebraska, and by their statement, there's there's about three things in Nebraska: corn, booze, and meth. Sounds about right. Yeah, that's how uh, Ozzy Osbourne's best guitarist died, flying a plane drunk. He wasn't flying a plane; he was just in the plane. But so yeah. Maybe they were in Nebraska, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why. Maybe they just had too many rock star deaths from drunk flying. Drunk airplane accidents, yep. Alright. Well, this has been Scofflaw's History of Law and Disorder. Uh, my name is Sean, this has been John. Say bye, John. Bye, John. My friends, it has often been said that I like war. My friends, I like war. No? Friends, 
I love war. I love holocausts. I love blitzkriegs. I love defensive lines. I love sieges, charges. I love mop-up operations and retreats.